Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey everybody, welcome to Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. Today, we're going to deal with a big question a lot of us have, and that is, how do I know God's will? Maybe you've got a big question in your life about trying to figure out where to move, who to marry, uh, what career to take. Uh, maybe some life-altering decisions you have to make. Guess what? We all want to know God's will. And we get to have a conversation today with a pastor who had to face that very thing when it came to where he was going to work, where he was going to move his family. And he gives some great insight that really helps us make the whole what is God's will thing simple. And that's our quest around here, make real life simple. And so we're going to get some great insight from Pastor Chris Vandalin, and he is up in the St. Louis area and has great stuff for us today. Hey, today we want to continue our conversation and push towards Compassion International. We are on a mission to sponsor a thousand kids, and so we are asking you once again to consider this year sponsoring a child through Compassion International. You can go to compassion.com slash rusty and join us there, and that allows us to keep track of how many kids we're going to sponsor. So without any further ado, here we go with my conversation with Pastor Chris Vandalay, how to make finding God's will simple for your life. Chris, thank you for joining the podcast. Great to have you with us. Uh, For our listeners who do not know your story, give us Chris in 90 seconds. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Uh, and where do your sports allegiances lie? You know, the big questions. <laughs> Those are really important things. Yeah. Um, Chris Vandeland, I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia. So kind of on the eastern side of the U.S. and church, church kid. I grew up loving the Lord and loving the church. Uh, kind of those two went together for me. Like we hardly knew the difference between blood relatives and, and church family. We a small church in a, a decent sized town, but our church family was pretty major part of my childhood. And I grew up loving, loving the Lord and really had a, um, I'd say a real personal encounter with God when I was 12 and things really turned to make it real for me. Mm. Um, kind of fast forward to feeling a calling and a pursuit to want to help change lives with teenagers. Even from when I was a teenager, mm. I really feel like God sort of pressed into my heart a desire to, to serve his kingdom and the church to in youth ministry from teenage years all the way on and ended up at uh, Johnson Bible college in Knoxville, Tennessee, now Johnson university. Yeah. And it was just an incredible sort of continuation of what God was pressing in on me all the way to 15 years serving in youth ministry at multiple churches and trying to love students and help them see in, in what I believe still is the most critical age of their lives in terms of their worldview formation and decision-making. So many people still circle back to decisions and habits that they formed in their adolescent years. Mm-hmm. And then in the last six years, I've been leading a church outside of St. Louis called Cornerstone Christian Church. We're in the Illinois side of St. Louis, an area called the Metro East. We have a multi-site church here, and I've been six years the pastor here and it's been a great ride. Mm. Married, uh, Nicole, my wife, of almost 20 years and, and two kids, Morgan and Tate, are 14 and 11. And all of us would claim loyalty most dominantly to the St. Louis Cardinals, those cross-state rivals of your Kansas City Royals. So we, yeah. we're currently getting our tails kicked, though, by your local team, by your by your Los Angeles Dodgers and our beloved Albert Pujols. So, 
Does Albert Pujols go into the Hall of Fame as a Cardinal, an Angel? Probably not a Dodger. I don't think he makes the All-Star team as a Dodger or an Angel, so I'm hoping a Cardinal. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer as a Cardinal. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I would like to see that. I think that makes most sense. Not that anybody, you know, besides you and me are even concerned about that right now. <laughs> uh, but I, I would love to drill down on something you said, because I think this is important for all of our leaders. We, ha we have a lot of people that, you know, they're working in uh, just a vocational world, you know, going to the job every day, doing the job from home. There might be something in them thinking, I, I might want to do ministry. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. And we, we talked recently at our uh, leadership conference about the difference between identity, calling, and assignment. How did you know ministry was your calling? And how do you discern when God tells you it's time for a new assignment? Because you've moved for a, you know, a couple different ministries. Mm. How, can, how can you sense the voice of God? Man, those are... Um... Incredible. I mean, that's a major part of my life. And so it, I, I'll try to summarize. I think the calling one was pretty clear to me. It, it's, it was never a Damascus road or like a bright light or, you know, my, my calling, I would say was much more gradual where I grew up with ministry all around me. My family was always deeply involved in ministry. We only had most of my life, one staff member at my church, maybe two. So it was not like a large church like you and I experience these days where there's multiple people everywhere. Ministry was done by people in the church putting ministry on their backs and living out the gospel. And 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 a, not that they don't now, but I mean, that, that was all I knew was volunteer ministry. And that's just the way people lived life in, in my childhood. And I think I realized I grew up in a great family, Rusty. Uh, my parents are still together. And had always dedicated to, to ministry, uh, both of my extended families, at least my grandparents, out of their extended families were the ones that really took to the Lord and set a great example of faithfulness. And I always had, I don't know if it was told to me or if God kind of gave this to me too much, to whom much has been given, much will be expected. And I just knew that with, uh, I'm a very you know extroverted person. I love being with people. I love music. I got trained in a lot of music stuff growing up. Uh, I had a lot of opportunities and I just felt like from even an early age, 10th, 11th grade, especially that I needed to give back to God, everything he had given me. And it just seemed like the obvious path was to consider to at least give the option to ministry, to serving in a vocational way. My dad's not in ministry. My mom wasn't in ministry and, and my dad's a financial planner. My mom was a music teacher and lots of other things, but that was the obvious sort of, I'm, God, I'll give it a chance. And every little step along the way of obedience and giving it a chance, it's like God opened another door of faithfulness, another door of opportunity for me to not only use my gifts, but to pour out and really recognize that God can use anybody and God will use you if you put yourself in that place. So I think the calling, you know, by the time I got to maybe the middle or end of college, when I was being trained for ministry, the calling was a, it was like a no brainer. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, being trained up for the battle and recognizing that I was not only willing, but had been tapped on the shoulder by God to, to step in. Yeah. I've never really turned back from it since then. Uh, your, your story, while you think it may seem boring is very unique in that you grew up in a Christian home, parents still together, decide to go into ministry. You're still in ministry after 20 some years. Um, I think I read a stat the other day that 
80% of pastors that are pastors today won't be in 10 years. Um, part of that's COVID. Part of that is just exhaustion of the last year. Yeah, for um, sure. Part of that is just, you know, the wear and tear of life. And you found a way to, to keep going. And I, first of all, I admire that and I respect that highly. But I also know that when you do that, you have to make certain transitions from different assignments. And a big, big transition you made was from the world of student ministry or youth ministry into being a lead pastor. Tell me about that decision. Have you always wanted to do that? Did you feel like, you know, it was time to get your own program, so to speak, and have your own team? Or did you go reluctantly into it? Walk me through kind of your thought process on changing assignments. For sure. Well, I'll, I'll give you the one, what I was given before the most recent shift, which was out of a 15-year student ministry life into leading a church and preaching every week and all that stuff. And I, well, somebody gave me great wisdom years ago when you're contemplating, am I, is it time for me to move on? to a different church or a different ministry outlet, how do I know, you know, how, wh- is it when somebody calls me, is that God's way of telling me like, <laughs> because, you know, you can get lots of calls or you can get no calls and neither one of those necessarily are a slam dunk. Right. Uh, should I go looking on the internet for a new job, a new church? Should I uproot my family? And somebody gave me a wisdom, I think just absolute godly wisdom years ago. That was the default is always stay. Mm. The default should always be stay. You cannot reproduce years and time in anywhere else tomorrow what you've already done in the relationships and context you're in. Mm. So the default should always be to stay and serve and remain faithful. Faithfulness is such a major part of what it looks like to be obedient to Christ. And that helped me in a couple of really rough seasons where if I look back, the most fruit came after that season where I could have bailed and I could have mm. gone and I had opportunities and there certainly are you know, places to, to chase down. But I felt no release from God. I didn't have any real sense. And I got these wisdom people speaking in going that the default should be stay. So I just feel like that's such a major piece of what my journey has been is that to default to stay until there's clarity to go. Hmm. Um, the most recent one, six years ago, we transitioned from a great church in Florida and went moved from Florida to Illinois. Um, because Jesus told us to. That's the only reason you do that. Right. It was way, it was really funny getting a moving truck. People are saying, you know, no one ever takes the truck back to Illinois. They're always driving <laughs> to Florida and leaving it there. So we moved, we moved. And uh, I think in that season, I really felt unrest in a season where I was preaching a good bit and overseeing family ministries and marriages in a, in a great church. And just recognized that God was pressing in on me as I was praying. And we went through a season as a family where we fasted and prayed. We did, if you remember the Daniel fast, yeah. we just, yeah. as a family went, how do we, know, like, we're not putting out fleeces, you know, like, how do we, how do we try to elevate our sense of what God's speaking to us? Because even after 20 years of ministry, it's not like God's audible voice is always super clear. Mm-hmm. And we, we fasted and we prayed every day and we had a handful of very close people praying with us. And what God kept pressing in on me was preach and set culture. And I knew that I couldn't preach Mm. regularly and I couldn't set culture um, the way I felt like God was pressing me to do that when I was serving in a role under somebody else's vision and direction. And that was good and it was healthy and I learned a lot there, but I felt like God was pressing in on me that it's time to step out. And so I decided, you know, I told my wife, I'm like, my nature would be to network and sort of 
force feed this thing. I will find a good church. I will find one. I know people. And we just decided that we were not going to chase that path. I, I talked to only three or four sort of close friends to say, hey, if this is what God wants, he's going to have to put it in our lap. I'm not going to chase it down. My church was very gracious with me as I was asking them to walk the journey. And I continued to serve there. So the summary was uh, a church that I had a student, a former student after 15 years, there's students everywhere, who was married to a pastor in this church we serve now. He's still on my team today who called, they had a very surprising resignation of the lead guy. And they called and said, would you by chance even consider being a lead pastor? Here's a description of what we're looking for. And it was like reading my bio. Yeah. And we just felt like, God, we never wanted to live in Illinois. We never wanted to live in the Midwest. Why would you do that to us? But you know best, we're going to do what you call us to do. So that was, and really once we had conversations, you know, I asked them from the beginning, just tell me the truth on everything. I don't need you to mm-hmm. hide anything. I really can do whatever it is the situation is. I just want to know what I'm getting into. And they were so gracious about going, we're bad at this. We've really failed in this way. These things are good. And the more we talked and prayed, the more we felt like God was saying, you know, you can't walk away from this. This is going to be your next assignment. Mm. I love that. And we've been so blessed. I love your your clarification on the audible voice of God. I think that there are people out there that like to throw that phrase around. Maybe they do hear the audible voice. Maybe they don't. Uh, I think it was Dallas Willard that said, you know, that's not even a very fancy way for God to talk to us. I mean, he could certainly just whisper into our mind. We don't have to have an audible voice, um, which I think he does. But I think you, you brought up something really, really good for all of our listeners who are wondering, what's God want me to do? I have found God doesn't really speak up for us to hear him. We have to turn the noise of our life down because he's pretty steady yeah. and um, what he wants us to do. Sometimes it's just do the next right thing. Sometimes it's a you choose kind of moment. Sometimes it's a specific go here, but um, it really is drowning out a lot of that, that noise in our life, turning that down. And it sounds like the fast certainly allowed you to do that. It did. And I think not clouding my time with hunt, like dozens of phone calls and what do you know about this church and what do they do well and how big are they, which would be my nature, honestly, Rusty, that, that would be the, the nature would be to chase that. And I'm not saying it's that, like that for everybody every time. We just felt compelled that we had to turn that volume down and really turn to what we said. We, we started praying Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, He'll make your path straight. And I can sing that in about three different VBS songs. Amen. But what it really means to not trust in your own self and your own ways and the pros and cons, but really lean on the Lord is really challenging when you have a, a major life decision in front of you and, and how to really bring those together mm-hmm. uh, is, is not only challenging, but honestly for us, it was really fulfilling because when you're putting it before God, it's like, he's giving you these nuggets along the way mm. through other confirmations along the way. And he wants you to walk the journey and not just have an answer. So that was major for us. That's so good. I love that. And I think sometimes when we go with our, our default, <clears throat> which in your case would have been the network, uh, it really does become too much more about us and what we've forced. Um, having been in ministry, you know, 30 years, I, I just, I've seen guys make moves because, Hey, my family will like this, or it looks like a better gig or they're paying more. 
And I always caution them and say, listen, it won't be long before the honeymoon's over and you're in the dark night of the soul of why did you move? What did you do? And if you don't have a clear calling to go back to, it's going to be really difficult. So true in our life. I would say specifically in this, in this move has just been, we were very clear. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I, uh, in a moment of weakness, I'll share you with you in a moment of weakness along that journey, I heard about a church, um, not too far from where you grew up in Kentucky. And, um, and, and I thought, you know, I had heard about a friend who had applied, but then pulled his name out and he had gotten pretty far in a process with Mm -hmm. them. And I thought, you know, mathematically I'll have a shot at this. And I told my wife, look, they're probably going to call. We're going to have to make a decision. Do we want to move to Kentucky? So I submitted my resume, shot it to the place where they asked. I never got the first response on an email, a call, nothing. And, you know, it's like in that moment, my (laughs) wife was laughing. She said, you thought you had that one in the pot, you know, like that was, (laughs) well, God's going, no, that's, we're not doing it this way. (laughs) I love how our, and God made it very clear. Your wife, you know, sounds a lot like mine, just a great broker of humility, you know, just, uh. Yes. You're not, She's not impressed with me. She's not impressed with me. It's the best. Feature. No, no, that, that ended very, very quickly. Uh, I want to talk about student ministry a little bit uh, from a couple angles. First of all, I sense today that student ministry is more difficult now than it ever has been because guys compete with so much more than student pastors had to 15, 20 years ago. You're out, you've been out of the game for six years now. What's different about student ministry now versus when you began some 21 years ago? Well, I think you're totally right. And I feel like it's a world removed. I mean, I've been speaking in student ministry circles all these six years. So I've stayed somewhat connected, um, not only with our church, but like beyond that nationally a little bit. And it is a massive shift. You know, the world, if you can imagine how much the world has shifted in the last two or three years, student ministry and, and students are ahead of that and usually exponentially more in how much they've shifted morally, socially, all the technology, all the uh, gender identity issues. So I think what's, you know, we talked about the noise earlier. It is so much noisier now. For student ministry back, you know, when we were kids or, you know, back when student ministry really came onto the scene, providing something for students was like this extra. I mean, they're like longing for some community. And now I think the competition for their attention is so difficult. And we have, you know, even within the church, people are so busy. Yeah. And then to try to help speak truth in and into where they can be received like without ostracizing or kind of being canceled, if you will, by the students. Uh, our guys have these days such a challenge ahead of them to be able to speak truth. And yet there's, you know, with every negative, there's such benefit because the belonging and when with all the identity uncertainty that literally with, with students uh, changes, sometimes even based on social circles or sort of what the tide is in their school or on a team or that sort of thing. And even their belief about some of those things, there's such a need for something firm that is unchanging, that is true, that is real. And his name is Jesus. And so they have an opportunity. I think today as a church, we have an opportunity to speak 
of foundational things in love into a world that has almost nothing foundational, almost nothing set, almost nothing really tangible that, that doesn't shift. Yeah. So it's also a great opportunity. Yeah. It seems like the need is greater than it ever has been before, but the resistance is also greater than it ever has before. Cancel culture. I mean, now you get the students in the room, they still got their phones. So, you know, right. it's no longer just, well, they got here. Now I got a captive audience and it, it used to be, you build, you know, the big event and they will come not anymore. Mm -hmm. So it really is more life on life, relational ministry. It's just, uh, it's really tough. Okay. So I want to ask you this then. Hey, let me pop in here for just a second and remind you, make sure you sponsor a child. Go there right now, compassion.com slash rusty sponsor a child today for the price of about two lattes. You can change a child's life. Love for you to be a part of that. And go to Compassion.com, Compassion International, and sign up. Compassion.com slash Rusty and sponsor a child. Okay, back to our conversation. Everybody who's been an associate pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, education pastor, what, missions pastor, whatever you want to say, and and they, they watch the senior pastor or the lead pastor, they think, okay, I could do that better. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. I thought it when I was an associate, you thought it as a student pastor, when you moved from student ministry into leading a church, what was the greatest shock? What was the biggest difference between leading a church and leading a student ministry? Well, I'll confess that I did have that thought a time or two. <laughs> um, and I would say, you know, for one, I never, I, for most of my time in student ministry, I did not long for that job. I loved what I did. I almost took, pride in saying, I'm, I'm a lifer, you know, I'm going to stay in this thing and see the generation after generation in student ministry. As God started to really, I think, shift my heart to, hey, this is the kind of direction I'm nudging you. You know, I started getting ideas and thinking, probably um, the thing that was most of the biggest reality check for me was how difficult it is to lead staff. That was the hardest one for me. And I would tell you transparently that I felt pretty great about how I led staff and had done some good things with staff over a 15-year career. And then finding that when you're the tip of the spear and you're really set in direction, how hard it is to help, especially people that didn't sign on to, to come with you, how hard it is to lead those people and how hard it is to um, learn to not be a people pleaser. You know, I, I think you can kind of get over a teenager saying a harsh thing to you and kind of write it off as like, well, they're 15. Of course they say that kind of thing. But when you get emails from longtime church members or comments that sting, it's like Satan puts the exact words in their mouth that you know are going to go straight to your heart. Learning to not be a people pleaser and not take to heart every single thing every person says as an identity and really put your identity firmly in Christ, man, that was a big, big lesson for me in the first year or two that I had to really work through spiritually. Yeah. Boy, that's, that's really good advice there. I mean, just the, the sheer toll that the people pleasing thing takes on you. I found for me, I was in a similar situation where I'd come from a different church. It wasn't like I was on staff and then became the lead guy. And I, I did not realize how much I believed this equation. If I make people happy, thus they'll grow the church, thus I'll make God happy. And really it's a, it's kind of the reverse of that. So 
I think for a, a lot of people that are going into the lead role, they underestimate the head games this will play on you. And you really got to have your soul in order in order to do that, or you'll be doing it on the fly. And probably for a short time. Right. You know, I don't know that you have the stamina. I mean, I, I did not, I underestimated, I kind of knew it in my head, but I underestimated the weight of the chair. Yep. I really underestimated the weight of the chair. And like I said, I, I think I would have said, I know that's a lot harder. I know it is. I'm sure that's a whole lot harder. I'm sure, man, there's, there's no way to describe the weight of, of feeling like you're supposed to have the direction and not just all the answers. I've never been so prideful to think that I have all the answers, but I think to feel like, well, I'm supposed to know which hill we're supposed to take yeah. and which battle we're supposed to fight and when we're supposed to back off and when we're supposed to charge. And man, the weight is very challenging. So, yeah. And there's, there's so much information out there, so many things to process through so many people with strong opinions. And now you have the blessing of social media where people can contact you all different ways and let you know their God given opinion. Um, uh, tell me about, about COVID. Uh, how did that hit you guys? What did you learn through that process? If you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? Well, COVID, so I live in Illinois and Illinois has responded. I mean, I think each state has a little bit of a different experience. Our area is unique in that we're in Illinois, but we're like 10 miles from Missouri, mm -hmm. from St. from the Mississippi River. So a lot of people commute into the city. Uh, so we, but we're governed in Illinois and we're also next to a very large Air Force base, Scott Air Force Base. Uh, so a lot of our population are military folks. So okay. a I'd say 50% of our church is active or retired military, a lot of them Air Force. Mm. So they're from everywhere. So our church is this hodgepodge of people. We're not almost nobody's from Illinois. It's like a complete hodgepodge of folks who have ended up here. So lots of different experiences and opinions about it. I would say that um, it hit us really hard early. So we found out kind of like everybody did pretty much mid-March sometime that things were getting hot with COVID, trying to figure out what that was. We actually had a staff member's husband who got COVID very, very early on, went very, very, he's in his early thirties, went very, very South, very quickly, ended up in the hospital and on a ventilator within about a five to eight day period. Wow. And he was on a vent for 12 days, mm. just on the verge of not making it at the very beginning of COVID. So it... Mm. It hit our staff and our church very substantially while we we're still hearing stories about, you know, where China and France and other places where it was a hot spot, we were living it. So we're trying to figure out what that means. I think um, we did like everybody else tried to react quickly with online platforms and we installed a studio on campus to help broadcast more and really try to keep people connected, try to, we did a, our team just responded incredibly like so many people, so many churches to try to provide outlets to in every age bracket to help connect people and really push people toward spiritual disciplines and working through anxiety and fear. Cause there's so many unknowns mm -hmm. about COVID that we're still here. We are a year and a half in we still, we know a few things, but there's a lot of things we still don't know what the answers are. Right. And it's almost like a forced opportunity for the church to get back to the things that God originally really called us to be most important anyway, Yeah, really depending on him and not on outside forces, really casting away. You know, we hear that passage in 
Philippians that I think about everybody preached through during COVID about, you know, casting your cares on, on Christ and with prayer and petition, bring everything before God, not being anxious about anything, mm-hmm. but really giving it to him and not fearing. We're not going to walk in fear. Really trying to help walk people through that was, was our aim during that time and try to be safe and yet hold to the things that we believe were valued wrestling like everybody else, all the challenges of like, what does this mean for the church? Do we have to do what everybody is saying about public places or what's safe for us to do too? And and trying to wrestle through all that challenging. As you guys regathered, did you learn anything about, and what are you learning still about how to get people to actually come back? Because we're learning that there's this, group of people we refer to as the ghosts that have just disappeared that obviously weren't all that committed to begin with, or they feel like I don't need it because I'm out of the habit. A hundred percent true for us too. So, um, I think, you know, we've had where we live, we have a, I'd say a prob- close to a 50, 50, 60, 40 split on vaccines and yeah. uh, masks and all the kind of regulation type things that have come with this season in different levels everywhere. And with that, we can't win mm-hmm. because if we make a decision in either direction, half of our population doesn't really want that. Right. So we've just tried to be from the very beginning as God honoring first and Romans 13 honoring second, trying to adhere to the law of the land when it doesn't contradict the hard gospel and us being able to proclaim the message of Christ, which it doesn't. We've tried to stick close to that. And I think some of that's been good for people to go, you know what, I'm with my church because they've really tried to navigate this thing well. And and yet there's some people probably who have been on the other side of that. And the ghosts, which, you know, I would we joke around here that all the churches that did the very best job of getting their people online quickly and with quality are now reaping the reward of couch Christians who still want to continue to Bit, reap all the benefits of their church without really um, gathering and being a part of of what we're doing together. Yeah, and we're still seeing that. We're at I think we're today probably at uh, sixty or sixty five, maybe closer to seventy now. Uh, this fall's been good, but I think what we've learned is really uh, first of all we would have opened we would reopen sooner if we had it to do over again. Yeah, we would. It would reopen a little sooner. We were closed from March all the way through into August. Mm-hmm. And we had, I mean, we were following, you know, our local stuff, I, pretty similar to yours, I think. Our governors are buddies, but we're trying to follow that as close as we could. But I think we probably would have opened a little sooner in the summer to get some momentum back. Yeah. And, you know, we are really encouraging people back. But mm-hmm. one of the things our our team and our elders have really focused on is, we want to encourage people back and continue to keep the arms open and say, Hey, you know, rejoin because the regathering thing is not just us going back to what we did. We've recognized something. And that is that gathering matters. Mm. It matters. We, we want to do more and more with digital ministry. We want to learn more and more about what it's going to look like to reach people beyond the walls of a physical building. But what we've learned is that it's not the end all, at least not yet. And gathering matters, being face-to-face with other people, getting out of bed, getting yourself dressed, serving other people hand-to-hand in church, the corporate gathering. I mean, I'm just people for week after week, all fall, 
who come back to church for the first time and they're in tears, you know, in the beginning of a worship service or some of them walking into the building of their campus because they haven't been in church and it's like a weight is lifted that they didn't even know they had. Right. There's something like, I don't know if we want to overuse Hebrews 10, you know, don't, don't forsake the gathering. I, I don't know that that's a command we want to just post everywhere, but I do think that there's a principle behind it that God says, you're supposed to do this thing together. You can't do everything at your whim over a Zoom call. It, it's not the end all. Right. So we'd open sooner and I think probably be more intentional with our staff. We'd we probably, I mean, people were pushed really hard to reinvent themselves so quickly. And I think there's, we gave everybody a lot of flexibility with, you know, office time and hours and all that sort of stuff, but probably providing some resources for them in the way of counseling, or at least a opportunity to talk with some people about like, just navigating what they're experiencing. A lot of our staff there, especially on the younger side, like they're not only experiencing COVID for the first time, but a ministry season uh, in the early days of ministry with this piled on, mm. there's not a lot of sort of we used to's to fall back on. Right. So I think we probably would have done a better job with that. That's so good. Well, I know this has been really helpful for a lot of our church planters and, and young pastors. And uh, I love the fact that you uh, obviously have, have led well through this, led your church through this. Uh, but also led yourself well. That's you know how you're able to move from student ministry to a lead pastor and still do it. Uh, taking on that weight is great. And and for all those out there that are thinking, yeah, I think I'm ready to do that. That desire isn't bad. That actually gives you the courage to take the leap. Uh, but also recognize the humility that needs to go with it, um, as as you've definitely shown us, Chris. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to just rapid fire. Uh, several questions to you and you get like two to three sentences to sum it up. All right. Uh, so you don't have a lot of time to think about it. Okay. You just gotta, you just gotta go for it. Um, much like the, uh, the umpire in 1985 in the world series game six, when he made the right call about the Royals against the Cardinals. Anyway, Is that's that right. I, I think yeah. that's something we could probably debate for more than two or three <laughs> sentences. <laughs> okay. Uh, here we go. Um, something wrong you said on stage, maybe a stage faux pas, something you messed up in your teaching. Well, my favorite and most appropriate was, um, I was baptized in a kid named John Mallencrot and I accidentally just said, this is John Mellencamp. And I, <laughs> I didn't catch myself. No one said anything. So for weeks afterwards, people in church were coming up to me singing, just a little ditty about Jack and Diane. Oh, that's so good. I, and his his mom and family went ahead and corrected me afterwards. So I was a little bit of a faux pas there. Sorry about that, John. That's really good. Not everybody can say they baptized John Mellencamp. No, and I, and I did. Oh, you did it. Uh, favorite book over the last year? Favorite and least favorite simultaneously is uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer. Um, Ironically, in a confession, I I read that book on one and a half speed on audiobook while multitasking, which kind of defeats a bit of the point of the book if you have read it. So, but man, there's so many things in there that challenge me. I, I need more time to just pause and cut back. I'm too much of an activator. So really challenging. Yeah. And after amen, second place. Oh, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It is interesting. I wonder how many people have read that book about eliminating hurry on one and a half or two times speed. That would be a 
a fascinating study there. Uh, okay. What are you binge watching? Anything we should know about? I cur we're not big binge watchers, but right now I am watching Ted Lasso. Hmm. And while the language is a little dicey for my taste, there's so many great, even redemptive themes. And I've had so many people tell me about it that I'm, I'm watching. And I do really appreciate some of the themes they've built in. Yeah. His, uh, his level of positivity is really encouraging. Um, okay. A most helpful podcast for you besides leading simple. Clearly. A um, couple of them. I love the working genius podcast. Patrick Lencioni is really good. Emotionally healthy. Oh yeah. That is a good one. Mm -hmm. um, really appreciate that one. Emotionally healthy leadership. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of in the emotionally healthy world. I really appreciate just constantly circling back to mental and emotional health for me. Like you said, leading myself has got to be the first priority. Um, the Church Leaders podcast is kind of a, le a little bit lesser known one. I mean, I listen pretty much every week to Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, and to your podcast and a couple others. But those are a few that may be off, off the radar a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Church leaders are really good. Uh, a habit that's helped your marriage. Easy. There's a number one. And that is, I heard somebody preach in a sermon years ago that then I think maybe it was Groeschel or somebody like that, that said, the number one thing you can do is pray with your wife every day. Huh. So we literally have a wooden block that has, we did it for a prayer series and we have this wooden block and we pass it to each other at bedtime literally take turns praying every single night and we never miss a night. If I'm gone, we pray before we go to bed together. It's not a complicated prayer. It's not a super long prayer. My wife knows that once the light goes out, I'm T minus two minutes. So it's a, it's a short prayer, but we pray together every day. And there's days where that is challenging because a few minutes before the prayer, we were ready to not talk. Yeah, And so we force ourselves to pray together every night. I believe it's been life-changing. It's one of the greatest gifts I give, I think, uh, couples who are struggling. I love that. Uh, a habit that's helped your family. My favorite is birthday celebrations. I guess it's more of a tradition. We don't have very many of those, so this is my favorite one. We celebrate birthdays in a way to say, you know, birth birthdays are the only holiday that's just about you being you. You didn't do anything or accomplish anything. You're just you. And so we take time around our table on the person's birthday in our family. We go around twice. Everybody has to share one thing they love and appreciate about that person, just who they are. And if somebody's over that day or visiting, they have to do it too. And if somebody's at our house on their birthday, they have to do it. We go around and share. It's just a way to remind ourselves that we love that person for who they are. That's really good. Okay, last one. And this will be helpful for a lot of our listeners who are a little nervous in talking about their faith with somebody else, share the gospel with us in a couple minutes or less. So there's so many things that we can talk about in life that are really important things and how we handle ourselves at work and how we deal with our families and um, who are we going to become and what college are we going to go to? Who are we going to marry? What kind of car are we going to drive? What kind of career do we want to have? But there's no more important question that we will ever wrestle in life, not vaccines, not masks, not sports teams, nothing more important than what are you going to do with Jesus? But Jesus, by design, completely would put himself in a place in someone's life where they came to a, a crossroads about what they're going to do with him. He's this person, larger than life, had amazing teachings, amazing gifts, and yet made some provocative claims 
that you can't just pass over. He claimed to be God. He claimed to have equal power with the Father. He, he claimed to be able to rise from the dead and re-raise the temple. He claimed things that you can't pass over. And I think the greatest question every person will come to is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And when we recognize the reality of who He is and that we cannot get past Him, that He has pursued us so far, left the 99 and come out for the one, and you're the one, He has done everything he can to meet us where we are. He's come into our mess, Romans 5, and swam in our cesspool and pulled us out and replaced us and our junk with his sacrifice. We have a decision to make. The gift has already been given. The sacrifice has already been made. We have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Do we open the gift of God or do we decide to continue to put him on the back burner? And that leaves us with a different question. Now, what do you do with Jesus and all that he is? A real man lived, Jesus of Nazareth, walked the earth, made provocative claims, and nobody knows where his body is. So we have a decision to make about what we're going to do with him. And of course, for me, the decision is to choose him as Lord and let him be the ruler, not only the Lord, the, the one who's in charge, but of course, also the savior of my life. That's awesome. That is really, really good. I love that because it makes it so clear as to the main question you got to walk away with, and that is, what do you do with Jesus? Chris, thank you so much for sharing with our audience, praying for you guys as you keep moving forward. Uh, I, you know, I don't pray for the Cardinals, but oh, well, you guys haven't needed it. These days they need prayer. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rusty. God bless you, man. Well, what a great conversation that Chris gave to us. Great information, and I'm so grateful for that. If you would, would you take a moment to rate this podcast or to even give us a review? That would mean the world. And you can uh, just submit that there wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Uh, Today, we've had a great conversation with Chris, but next week, oh my goodness, we get to have a great conversation with one of my pastoral heroes, a guy that leads a church of about 20,000 people out of Cincinnati, Ohio, And he is going to help us simplify how churches can really connect with guys, which is really difficult. So if you're a pastor, you're really going to love this. And that's a conversation with Pastor Brian Tome next week. As always, make sure you sponsor a child through Compassion International. Compassion.com slash Rusty is where you can do that. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, keep it simple. Hey, I'd love to invite you to leave us a review. Uh, Some great stuff has come in. I want to thank Matt at CYB who says, Rusty George, host of Leading Simple, uh, with Rusty George highlights the aspects of Christianity and more in this Can't Miss podcast. The host and guests offer insightful information for everyday listeners. Thank you, Matt. That is really kind of you. I appreciate it. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.